0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm very excited for this week's show because I am joined to discuss movies that were overlooked in the 2000s by the man who spent a whole year talking about overlooked movies, JB. Hi children, it's Captain Jimmy and I'm going to take you to Gumdrop Island. That sounds... Pleasant or terrifying? I haven't decided. I'm gonna. That's life. I'm gonna let it marinate a little bit. That's life, man. Now. <laughs> it's pleasant and terrifying. If you are listening to this podcast the week that it comes out, uh, please keep in mind that this Sunday, August 26, beginning at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, we will be live at fthismovie.com and on our YouTube page celebrating the life and career of Toby Hooper. We have a very uh, cool program coming together.
1: It's going to be fun and special, and you should all be there.
0: Yes, please. Um, Jay bones have you seen anything good lately? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, this is shaping up to be a
1: terrific year for documentaries, although it almost seems like getting released is a strainer, where if you do manage to get released, you got something going on, because okay. so many of them don't get released to theaters. But I've already talked about Bombshell, which came out early this year and is terrific. It's and on a streaming service, but I haven't watched it yet. It is. And it's out on Blu-ray if you want to keep it. And I'm sure it'll show up on a PBS again because it was one of those yeah. American Masters yeah. specials. But um, re- more recently, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor is a documentary about Fred Rogers. And I was the first generation of children to watch that show. And obviously in the 70s, he sort of became a punchline, but the documentary is terrific and sort of reminds you, oh, look what he was doing. And if you think it was silly, they show clips from weeks where he tackled, you, you kind of tend to remember the neighborhood of make-believe right, and right, stuff, right. but there were weeks where he tackled divorce. In a very straightforward way. Yeah. I mean, just not talking down to kids. There was a week um, in the late 60s where he talked about assassination.
0: Holy cow.
1: So, you know, once you watch the, the clips um, and, and... Wait, he's, the, he was against it, right? He left it to the children <laughs> to make up their own minds. That, uh, And, you know, we live in a very cynical age Uh, according to Tom Cruise. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor is getting such a reaction because a lot of us are very upset about things that are going on. And this was sort of, oh, remember this one man just wanted to make things better. And he had this philosophy that was a through line through his entire life that something's going to go really wrong if you don't feel loved and that you belong. If you don't have that, That's very bad for society to have a lot of people who feel that way. And then um, a couple weeks ago, I finally got to see three identical strangers.
0: Yes. And oh, my God. I'm very upset because uh, it played the Chicago Critics Festival earlier this year, and I was not able to see it. I still have not caught up with it. And I'm not going to spoil
1: it because you you sort of go in – with the first 10 minutes and, Oh, look at this phenomenon. And it was on the news a lot and they were sort of celebrities for a while. But here's why I really, really love three identical strangers. The documentarians in question, they hold back some of their cards. So you go in and you think, you know what it's going to be about. And that's what it's about. And then 20 minutes in, they flip over another card and you're like, Oh, Holy shit. Holy shit. And then every 20 minutes they do the same thing. Yeah. It gets deeper. It gets darker. It's extraordinary. And I think a lot of documentarians don't have the uh, restraint or, I don't know, skill to do that. They would show all their cards at the same time. But the the further we get into the film, the farther down the rabbit hole we go. And what we discover is just
0: jaw-dropping. There was another documentary that played the Critics Festival, and it wasn't – I feel bad saying this. It wasn't a, a particularly well-made documentary. It was a lot of just talking heads, and just it wasn't particularly cinematic. But uh, it was called Abducted in Plain Sight, mm-hmm. and it's I, – I won't even say what it's about, but it is sort of what you're describing, where it's like, okay, this crazy thing happens. You know, The premise of the movie basically is that this family has their youngest daughter – Sort of taken away by a family friend who is a pedophile, um, and then it keeps getting weirder and revealing more and more, and it's very sad um, and, and I worth think, seeing.
1: I think if you look at the best documentaries, I think I've been whatever the reverse of spoiled is by too many fan documentaries where they're <sighs> making the film as an excuse to sit down with these people yes. that they really like. Not everything needs a documentary, guys. and then there's no real point, but the real purpose of documentary, the higher purpose of the documentary is that the documentarians and in fact, you in the theater are sort of meditating on this topic um, in a very uh, intense way. And the documentarians are either making a point or leading you to make a point. And that's what I really liked about three identical strangers, because the conclusions that, you cannot help but get to at the end are... I, I The only word I can think of is jaw-dropping. Okay. And then I saw Sorry to Bother You.
0: Which I also haven't seen. It's been a rough couple weeks.
1: Which I liked a lot. And then I learned on social media and the Twitter machine and from some friends that the supposed twist, no spoilers here, really put some people off. <laughs> and the twist... I'm not giving it away, um, is one of the things I really like about it in that the filmmaker Boots Riley yep. is engaging in satire. In this case, Swiftian satire. And I'm using that word very specifically because it has everything to do with the twist. Um, we've talked on the podcast about movies that go there yeah. and movies that don't go there. Yeah. I'm thinking here the um, the archetypal go there movie is The Rapture. Where yeah. say what you want. They went there. You know, what popped into my head
0: was splice.
1: Yeah, I <laughs> no, I would I would include that. Yeah, and I really really liked. Uh, sorry to bother you for a number of reasons. I really liked the twist. Uh, Tessa Thompson in it is in it and yeah. playing a role that I've never really seen her play before. Okay, and she's a treasure. And I thought it was interesting because just yesterday I saw Black Klansman. Which is terrific, and in a very real way, about the same thing. About how can uh, minorities affect real change to the system? Is it better to work within or without? And if you do decide to work inside the system, you will be seen as a sellout. And what is the? How does one work those things out? Um, I think Black Klansman is a better movie. Okay, I think it's certainly a more subtle movie because. There are scenes in Black Klansman where you know how Spike Lee wants you to react when he wants to be, he is far from subtle. Yes. But there are other scenes, much like Do the Right Thing, where we're not sure how we're supposed to react. And I think this is pitched as comedy, at least scene by scene, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure. And the tone he maintains throughout the entire thing, is really something. Okay. And you know how oftentimes there are films that sort of lay claim to a song? The thing I was thinking about earlier today was um, how um, Inglorious Bastards seized the David Bowie song, Putting Out Fire, okay. from the jaws, right. literally, <laughs> of cat people. Right. And up, it's not right. yours anymore. Um, there's a song from the 70s. Um, It's too late to turn back now. Uh, I believe, I believe, I believe believe I'm falling in love. Just one of the most delightful scenes you'll see this year and really well done and talking about the joy of first love and it's delightful. Spike Lee's There's a lot to like, um, Adam driver, terrific as usual. There's a supporting player who you swear is Steve Buscemi, but he's not. Okay. He's some other guy. Um, the leads are great, and uh, Topher Grace is really interesting. Uh, a whole bunch of uh, people show up in cameos. Um, Harry Belafonte's in it. Cool. Um, Nick Turturro's in it. Of course. And it's I Spike wondered—
0: Lehman. He needs a Turturro.
1: I wondered, and I'm not spoiling anything, given the role that Nick Turturro plays, what it would be like to go to work day after day and have to say the lines uh, that the yeah,
0: character yeah. says, but I'm not an actor. Maybe that's part of the job. Uh, I'm, I'm, you all need to see Black I'm Clans desperate Men. to see it. I'm so excited that you know we have a really good Spike Lee movie again. And, although I, and this isn't fair because I hadn't seen the movie, but I kept seeing advertisements that were boasting critics' reviews saying, Spike Lee's best movie. And I was like, he may do the right thing. Like I haven't seen this yet. Well, they're counting on people having on. a
1: short memory. He may do the um, right thing
0: and he made Malcolm X.
1: There was a time when Spike Lee would do things like encourage children not to go to school and see his movie. Yes, He once claimed that theaters were racking up the, the money that was coming in for his films and attributing it to other films. But I had this weird experience. I went to one of our favorite theaters and they have it. On the smallest screen, oh, boy. I think there's literally about 15 seats. And as we approach the ticket seller Sunday afternoon, the people in front of us grabbed the last two seats. Get out. So maybe this film has been out for less than a week. Maybe you want to put it on a slightly larger screen so that I don't have to get really angry and then drive to Deer Park oh. and see it. And Deer Park had it in a much larger auditorium.
0: That, I, that has a little bit to say about the clientele at Deer Park versus the clientele at our theater. But obviously not because, you know, it sold out. Like, I don't know. Whatever. But what, what
1: is, what is oh, it sold out
0: when. Right. Fifteen people are seeing it.
1: I'm still bitter about the recliner.
0: Can we interest you in the Meg? Well, I saw the Meg too. Oh,
1: okay. And everyone's shitting on the Meg. And I understand why they're shitting on the Meg. I had fun. (laughs) All right. Is it the best movie I've ever seen? No. No. Is it the best shark movie I've ever seen? No. Is it the best Jason Strahan movie I've ever seen? No. Perfect summer fun. Okay. Um, I disagree with people who say there isn't any suspense. It's creaky. You can see the architecture of the plot. One thing I did like, though, because it's a co-production with the Shaw brothers. Yeah. Um, really crazy diverse cast. Okay. You know, because they're going to yeah, sell yeah, yeah. it in all these different right, right, right. territories. But it's like, oh, I, I like this. Rain Wilson is great comic relief. Okay. As many people have pointed out, there's a subplot of Jason Straham and this little girl. Statham. Yeah, I'm sorry. I that's can okay. never say his name right. Um, that's very charming and okay. unforced. And okay. someone on Twitter today said, that should be a whole movie. Yeah. Just, just... Uh, jason s and that little girl i thought there was enough to like i thought i got my money's worth i thought it was good dumb
0: summer fun i was very on the fence about it because the the word of mouth from people who were excited to see it and god bless them for being excited to see it but there was a little bit of like a snakes on the snakes on a plane thing happening where it was like i gotta go see jason s and the studio was encouraging it because the trailer
1: is serious Until halfway through, and then it becomes this big joke.
0: And so it was like everyone's sort of unironically, ironically ironically excited to see it, which doesn't get me excited to see it. And then it comes out, and those same people who were excited to see it, albeit for maybe different reasons, even they were disappointed. I was like, well, if the people who were excited aren't digging it, what are the chances that I can get up the energy to go see it especially when there's three or four other things i still need to see editor's note
1: yes i might be really wrong about this (laughs) i know i have not yet revisited independence day resurgence because i don't
0: never i don't want patrick to be right about that one but um could you you enjoyed the movie that movie could you imagine sitting through it again
1: I can this imagine a lot, is too long. but um, I, th- I thought I uh, thought the Meg was a good popcorn movie.
0: All right, well, good. Um, that, that that that's helpful. Well, no, I mean, at the very least, there's one person who enjoyed it. That's right. Um, I saw a handful of things, all of them a little older because I haven't. Well, and one newer movie I don't need to necessarily talk about, but um, I watched a movie that's streaming on Amazon Prime called Funland. Have you ever seen Funland?
1: That sounds familiar.
0: It has a very uh, memorable poster. It's like a clown holding a shotgun. It's from 87.
1: I don't think I've seen it.
0: And I read the plot description and the clown with the shotgun and I was like, okay, this is a crazy clown horror movie, right? And so I'm watching it and it opens with this crazy rock song about being a clown and I'm like, all right, I'm in. And then the first person I see is Jan Hooks. And I think, okay, wait—is this a comedy? Because it's written by—I need to look up the names of the screenwriters, but they are specifically comedy um, writers. It was uh, Bonnie and Terry Turner. Oh, are screenwriters on this movie? So I'm, I'm like, oh, so is this a comedy? It's got a bunch of familiar faces. I. I'm not recommending this movie, but, um, and, and actually just by virtue of me talking about it, you will not have the same experience that I had because I kept trying to figure out what is the tone of this movie? Is it starting out funny and then it's supposed to, is it going to get dark and twisted? I still never figured it out. I waited the entire movie trying what is, what it's, it's legal Legals. What is this movie? It's not a comedy. It's not a horror movie. It's about an amusement park. Uh, where uh, there's a clown who works there and then the amusement park gets bought out by this corporate corporation and they want to fire the clown and he's not having it but even that is just sort of a subplot it's the damnedest thing could it be
1: that it was intended to be a comedy and then uh, the studio decided to sell it as a horror film because that's an easier sell
0: My my only objection to that theory is there are no jokes did they write the
1: clown song specifically for the movie, or are you referring to the song Clowns by Too Much Joy? It
0: well, I don't think it was the song Clowns. So you're too familiar much with that song. I don't know if I am.
1: I have yet to meet a man not scared to death of clowns. They don't talk and they don't eat, they got painted on frowns. A clown with a gun I hope I never see. Will he shoot himself? Or shoot me. (laughs) No.
0: Apparently this song was called Mr. Clown. Okay. Performed by Tim Miller. A clown taught every
1: class at my old high school. I can't believe I still remember the lyrics. This is a very old song by a band called Too Much Joy. All right. Who had the coolest CD cover because it was this cartoon and then you folded it down and it changed
0: the meaning and it was dirty. Oh, too much joy. I alluded to this last week, but uh, a week or two ago, Amazon had this great big sale where they were just selling all these movies for ninety nine cents. Uh, you know, video on demand. Oh, okay. titles, not not discs. <laughs> I got real excited. No, um, and so I just went crazy, and I, I I didn't go crazy, but I was pretty indiscriminate. You
1: bought the clown
0: movie? I didn't buy the clown movie. Thank goodness, <laughs> it wasn't an option. Um, but I bought a bunch of. Movies Actually, on Friday, there was an error because pretty much all of the full moon movies were part of this 99 cent deal. I, of course, didn't buy them. I already own them on Blu-ray. Um, <laughs> but so all the Puppet Master movies were 99 cents. Well, Friday is the VOD release of Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich. And there's a mistake. And so it's 99 cents to buy it. Um so I bought it, despite the fact that I didn't like it at all. I remember you reviewed it. But now it. I own it. Anyway, this is not the movie I'm talking about. Um, one of the movies that I bought, because I'd never seen it, and I thought, well, it's Robert Altman, even though I know of its reputation. Oh, boy. Uh, beyond Therapy. Oh, yeah. Woof.
1: Yeah. Woof. <laughs> but it's fascinating if you're into Robert Altman, because every so often he'd make a movie where it was like, and this is what it looks like when it gets
0: away from me. <laughs> I mean, I know that this was made during that real heavy sort of downswing, everything post like what, O.C. and Stiggs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Early 80s, he was doing a lot of like filmed plays. Yes. And this is a filmed play, but more of a movie than right. like Come Back to Come Back to the Five and, to the dime. Time and Dime. Or Secret Honor. Um, I know he had a real low point in the 80s um, and didn't really swing back until The Player, which... I was just listening to a conversation about, and I thought you and I should do a podcast on The Player. The Player is so great. It is. It is. So we should uh, do a show on The Player at some point. Anyway, uh, Beyond Therapy, Jeff Goldblum and Julie Haggerty yep. as a couple. Yeah. And it's, it's wacky. I don't know. I mean, it was weird to watch it now because there's a lot of, um, I don't want to say homophobia, but there is a lot of homophobic language because so many of the characters are homophobic.
1: I'm not going to call it a garbage can. Let's call it a bin. <laughs> but there's a Robert Altman bin yeah, in which we can place Beyond
0: Therapy, yeah. Mr. T and, the M- T and the Women. Dr. T and the Women. I, like <sighs> Dr. T and the Women. There's things to like in Dr. T and the Women. I don't like it overall. But, yeah, there's this idea that once he came back with the player, everything was gold. And I don't agree. Because I'm not a Preda Porte fan.
1: Neither am I. And I I tend to think, oh, he made The Player, and then he made Gosford Park, and then he made... Um, His last movie. And then he died. Right. But that's not the chronology. No, there's a bunch.
0: Yeah. Um, but it, in, after The Player, he did make Shortcuts, which is... An amazing movie.
1: Shortcuts is a masterpiece. Yeah.
0: Why can't I remember the... Uh, I can never the, remember the name the, of it. The, Garrison uh, Keeler
1: A Prairie Home Companion. Thank you.
0: <laughs> and, we've we've and, done this before, And by that way. movie I actually like it's a good. lot. yeah. But... Yeah. But there's also The Company. I think we would approach
1: Prairie Home Companion differently if it wasn't his last film.
0: Maybe, yeah. And
1: when it came out, critics were even saying, and obviously this is before he passed away, that the film is really concerned with... Yeah when things are winding down. Yeah.
0: Um I also watched for the first time because I was listening to an episode of uh what was it? I think it was The Movies That Made Me. Have you been listening to that? The trailers from Hell podcast? No. Yeah. Joe Dante and Josh Miller. Yeah,
1: I was made aware of it, but I haven't listened to it yet. It's
0: really good. Um, Adam Rifkin was a guest, and they were talking about movies about movies. One of the movies they brought up was a movie I'd never seen. They said it was super depressing and bleak called Day of the Locust. Oh, yeah. So I watched that. I didn't... I wasn't crazy about it. Even beyond, like, well, this is depressing. Right. Um, I didn't think the movie had much to say, and I... Maybe part of the problem is I've seen – because I didn't see the movie when it came out, I've seen the Donald Sutherland character in a bunch of other movies. And so that character wasn't new to me the way it might have been in 1975.
1: Yeah. I, I'm i not the biggest fan of the movie. Um, I'm a big fan of the book because since my son moved to L.A., I think the book is – a staggeringly accurate portrayal of what L.A. really is Okay. or perhaps is really not. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's worth seeing. I think it's something that everyone should have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, am I remembering correctly? Burgess Meredith is in it. He sure
0: is. Yeah, He sure is. And uh, uh, um, William Atherton, Karen Black. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't love it. And the weird little girl from Days of Heaven, right?
1: Before William Atherton got typecast.
0: Yeah. Um, And then the last movie I'll talk about, and there's almost no point in talking about it, but I'll bring it up anyway. (laughs) This is another one
1: of your dollar beauties? I'm going to call those Amazon movies your dollar beauties.
0: Sadly, no. This is a a little movie called Alien vs. Predator Requiem. And you had tweeted that you finally saw it. Yes. And? Listen, (laughs) I like alien movies. I like predator movies when alien versus predator came out i thought okay i'll give it a shot and i really don't like that movie like i think it's bad in almost every way and then i saw the trailer for alien versus predator requiem and i thought that looks like what the last movie should have been it's got a bunch of aliens and a bunch of predators running around a city and shooting at each other and isn't this what the yeah, movie ma- should be? make this the yeah f- we've discussed that phenomenon and then i missed it and then for years, anytime I would talk about how I don't like Alien versus Predator, someone would chime in and say, oh, but Requiem is so much worse. And I thought, there, that's not possible. That, <laughs> there's no way. You were right, everyone. It's it's considerably worse. I might be
1: misremembering this. I don't think you were part of this journey. One year we went to Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. I think this was my son and his high school buddies. And then when we were done with Comic-Con, we went to see Alien versus Predator. This was not... We we're like this will yeah. be the perfect pop culture day. And Comic-Con was fun
0: and then Alien versus Predator was Alien versus Predator. So it's a better movie than Requiem. Um a lot of people chimed in on Twitter to to respond to that including some people who were like no I like it. It's it's got a lot of, you know, cool alien stuff and cool predator stuff. Maybe I can't tell. The whole thing was uh shot Several stops below whatever the eye can pick up because it was indecipherable. I, I couldn't believe that a movie got released
1: that was so poorly lit. And every time I see one of those, I have the same reaction, even when I'm watching something on TV that didn't somehow get remastered right. And most of those are from the 70s. I say the same thing. Imagine what this looked like at the (laughs) drive-in.
0: And I believe it was Daniel Pearl that shot it, who shot a lot of Toby Hooper movies, including The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, It's also one of the most mean-spirited movies I've seen in a long time. It opens with a father and his son out in the woods. I guess spoilers for Alien vs. Predator Requiem. The father is immediately killed, and I think to myself, well, they're not going to kill this. Oh, nope. Face hugger on the kid's face oh, so that we can cut back 20 minutes later and watch an alien pop out of a 12 year old boy's chest. Um, then later in the movie, I hate when they involve kids, the alien uh, attacks uh, a maternity ward in a hospital, <laughs> and you can just imagine how that goes down. Like, really? It, what was their was their goal? Just like, what's the worst shit we can well, do? I was just thinking, it's
1: a bunch of people around a conference table. What if we never seen? <laughs> just, well, there's a reason you've right. never seen that. Oh How my does god, this make your
0: movie better. I whatever, whatever. I don't like when you drag kids in. Yeah, even the the ones who haven't been born yet.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so
0: let's talk about some uh, overlooked movies of the two thousands. This is. Here's my disclaimer. This is one of my favorite topics, because I love talking about underrated movies because I like, you know, turning people on to things that maybe they didn't give a chance to, or or getting them to revisit stuff. Um so I was excited to do this, and then I started making my list, and I was like, my list is garbage. Well, yeah, you <laughs> had you happy. had said
1: that to me earlier today, and <clears throat> actually I was I was trying to write this list and I was trying to avoid Films that did not fly under the radar, maybe films that weren't successful when they came out,
0: but now everyone yes, acknowledges. This is nonsense. Did you Google, like, underrated movies of the 2000s? I looked at several lists online
1: and was what flabbergasted people are calling by, underrated? by some of the things. But for a while, I was toying with the idea—you'll be pleased to know I decided not to do this—of coming up with joke titles nice. a la uh, Doug on our end-of-the-year <laughs> podcast where I was going to say— um there's a very, very obscure crime film that I think all of our listeners need to see.
0: It's called Zodiac. So <laughs> that was on a list. Of course, some movies were hugely successful on the underrated list. Some movies, like you said, are movies that everyone agrees are great. We just maybe didn't all see them at the time. I tried to uh, to f- uh, weed those out. Yeah, try to
1: To actually because. Um a couple weeks ago you went on vacation. Yes. And oh thanks uh, for getting You're to welcome. this train of thought. Oh. Thank you for taking some <laughs> ta- thank you for taking some time for you. Thank you for taking I some really new feel time recharged, ready to recharge. And I in. thought it would be fun to take over iStream, UStream. Yes. And, of course, your initial reaction was, what don't you like about the way I'm doing it, <laughs> which was not my intention. I just wanted to try it, and I gained newfound respect because I thought, recommending a couple movies, this will, no, it's very time-consuming and difficult. And I recommended something that's streaming online with 100 caveats, I know that the people who come to F this movie are pretty savvy. I said it's a great thing to watch while you're folding this laundry. Is the, the horror movie The thing. 50 yeah. horror films you never heard of. And I think the first comment was, Chaby, and we love you, I turned it off after the first two. <laughs> and my reaction was, well, clearly you're in charge of your own time. But if you turn it off after the first two, how do you know what the other 48 were?
0: And I bring this up because... I will say... We would have to make up titles to come up with titles that Chaby has never heard of. True. (laughs) I thought
1: for the type of mainstream, almost do-it-yourself documentary that it was, they had a nice mix of stuff that not everyone... In any case, the reason I bring this up, uh, weeks and weeks ago, I got Chaby's new album. Yes. And because I love to hold things in my hands, I bought the cassette. Hey, now. And I got to say... Um, you have to get this and listen to it because as I said about his first album, uh, it will rewire your brain. Okay. And the reason I bring this up is every year I make my friends a Halloween CD. I hope they like it. I don't know. This year's is almost finished because I have a lot of time on my (laughs) hands. So here's why I bring this up. I put a song from Chaby's album on the Halloween CD and unless i hear from you within an hour oh. of patrick posting this podcast okay. i'm going to assume i have your permission <laughs> you have 1 hour to voice any dissent you know what song it is this is my favorite song on the album it features a female vocal and it's really creepy so chaby the clock is ticking <laughs> and you should go back and watch the other 48 50 horror films you've never seen so um I tried to come up with some titles that maybe some of our listeners have never heard of. But the other half of the coin is I want to champion these films because even though it's less than 20 years, a lot of them have just faded into the ether. They're not part of the conversation anymore.
0: I really wanted to find smaller, more obscure movies and just had a hard time doing it. Maybe not enough time. So I ended up with like all... Studio movies that I feel like, okay, maybe these don't get enough attention, but... I think with one exception,
1: I think all of mine are studio movies. Okay. All right.
0: Uh, What do you got first?
1: Okay, it came out in 2011, Mm -hmm. and I think because people were expecting A, and they received W... I don't think it did very well, but I remember when it came out, the people whose opinion I trusted, and I think yours was one of them, Mm. we all really liked it because it wasn't what we were expecting or what they were selling us in the trailer. It's called The Grey. Yes. It's a Liam Neeson movie, and it quickly became known as Wolf Puncher. I think on this very podcast, yeah. because I think Doug made a joke, but Liam Neeson had been making those movies like Taken and everyone assumed it was going to be like this, but the Gray is very thoughtful. Yes. And more like a real movie in that <laughs> it's it's not trying to be sensationalistic. It it has an attitude about nature and death and yes. things. And it's really,
0: really good. It is. It's a really good movie about, like you said, kind of how we face death about a specific – well, there's a lot of different types of masculinity represented. Um, Everybody's response to it is really interesting. Yeah. Everyone's – I mean, I'm thinking specifically of – I think it's Frank Grillo. There's one guy who makes a very specific choice that I was like, yeah, that might be me. And I think I'm remembering that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's really solid. And again, I think it was well liked at the time. And I think people who have seen it all say, yeah, that was good. Um, But because it was so different from the usual Liam Neeson vehicle, and he's kind of gone back to just doing that movie. What
1: is this recent nonsense on Twitter that he's going to drive a snowplow? Yeah. People have been making Mr. Plow jokes from yeah, The Simpsons. Yeah, I can't remember. And,
0: and, and the title is he's like...
1: A, he's a snow plow driver out for revenge or something? I, it, and the
0: title was something like... Plow. No, it was like... Hard-packed something. And I was like, this is a movie that fucking Vinny Chase made on Entourage. This isn't a real movie. <laughs> what are we talking about? Um, yeah, that's a bummer. But again, um, I have a lot of time on
1: my hands... And as I'm channel surfing, my way to buzzer the channel that shows game shows from the 70s because maybe Password Plus will be on. And let me tell you, Password Plus was a lot of fun. Supermarket Sweep, fuck Supermarket Sweep. That's bullshit for any number of reasons. But Password Plus, that's that's golden. And so I, I have the channel guide on the screen, and I'm flipping through it. And 503 through 595 on my cable is all the movie channels mm-hmm. and it just doesn't get shown. In fact, they'll show shit hundreds of times and not just recent shit, but there's certain older films and I'm not talking about really old 10 or 20 year old old films that they play ad nauseum and then where is the gray? Right. Is it rights issues? It did this not get sold in some package to Cinemax I think or that's what it or is. Showtime or something? Right. Because it does not show up.
0: It, and it's probably just not in whatever current package these channels have. And maybe when they re-up, it'll be part of the package. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure you can get it on Blu-ray for pretty cheap.
1: And it might even be on demand. That's the other thing I've noticed. Um, this is how they get you. I'm going to ah. slip into, into, into pure grandfather mode. <laughs> Comcast, which is my cable company, on the guide, like every five or six shows, there's a non-existent channel okay. where they make you think, if you're not paying attention, oh, that movie's on right now? Oh, so but then it's you're, like, link, ordering it? It's a link to go to On Demand.
0: Scumbags. <laughs> but... That's how you've ended up ordering Tag seven times. I saw Tag in a theater.
1: Did I mention that? I think so. It's bad.
0: Um, It is bad. It's really
1: bad. (laughs) Um, That... um, Where was this going? Oh, that if you explore your cable, if you have the cable, there's boatloads of free movies to watch. Yeah. They just want to make it as hard as right. possible for you to watch them. Right. I can't tell you the flips and twists I had to go through last week, because I read online that King Cohen was going to hit On Demand, the new documentary about Larry Cohen, which I recommend. But it certainly doesn't come up on any of the things that they're pushing.
0: Not even in like the in theaters now? No.
1: That's bizarre. I wound up having to type. You know, you can type out. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. of you have the microphone remote. God oh, knows really? Why. Um, I didn't someone know that was we a know thing. has one of them. Oh, my Apple, I don't know anyone T- my that Apple fancy. TV has that. Oh, you press the button that looks like a microphone, and you just talk, and then you don't have to clickety click.
0: Show me tag. <laughs> you
1: still have twelve hours on your rental. You and can three lunch.
0: backup rentals.
1: <laughs> but I literally so had to tag. type out. Once I was in On Demand, I had to type out King Cohen. Who's got that
0: kind of time? And the
1: screen was like the equivalent of Comcast going through an attic. I swear to God. It was like it was indecisive. And then suddenly something showed up, and it was a little postage stamp-sized box. There was like, that's appreciably smaller than the other boxes you've shown me. Why don't you want me to see this film? And I think one of the reasons is it's reasonably priced. Oh, I think to watch it in HD was
0: like five or six bucks.
1: Okay, so maybe you know the fifteen dollar beauties; right. those are the ones that. Get yeah. Okay, I'll stop. Um,
0: well, that's a good uh, segue into my first pick because my first pick is also a Joe Carnahan film uh, that came out, I think, the year before The Gray, and that is The A Team, which was Joe Carnahan's kind of big studio shot at making a giant hundred million dollar action movie. He had made a really cool movie called narc, uh, which is great if you haven't seen it. And that came up on a lot of the lists online <laughs> yeah. of over and, and I would have included it, but like who doesn't like narc? I don't know. Uh, you know, um, that ended up getting him a job directing mission impossible three. And then he and Tom Cruise were butting heads and he dropped out of that and he ended up making the a team, Which, you know, is – I grew up in the 80s. I have some affection for the show, but I was never a big A-team guy. Uh, But I revisited – so I saw the movie when it was out, I remember. And then I revisited it a couple months ago. And it was so much – I liked it at the time, but it was still so much better than I remembered it being. And the movie just – you can feel Joe Carnahan celebrating getting the opportunity to make a big $100 million action movie hmm. when they're dropping tanks out of the sky and trying to fly a tank.
1: I think that's the only scene I've seen. I remember you liking it. And there was one other thing. Oh, um, did you watch the television show when you were a lad? I mean, yeah, because it was on, but I wasn't like. Something that always bothered me. This yeah. is a tangent, by the way. The distinctive A-team theme? Yes. Dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun. That's the Sweet and Low jingle. <laughs> All right. Wherever you go, sweet and low. That was... I'm not making Those this Those were the up. original that,
0: lyrics to the A-team theme.
1: Has anyone Brought to else, you by Sweet and Low. Has anyone on earth ever pointed this out? I don't think the so. The A-team theme is the Sweet
0: and Low jingle. Should I take it off my list? No. The cast is really, really fun, and while he's fine... I think the one who comes up a little short is, I believe his name is Rampage Jackson. He was like a an MMA or a UFC fighter who's cast in the Mr. T role. And that's fine because, again, you kind of have stunt casting for a guy who was essentially stunt casting. But you just would want that role to pop because of... Well, yeah. Right. Uh, and he doesn't as much as the other four guys in the movie. Three who, guys. Who, who in the movie played the other three guys? in Liam Neeson. Is George George Pappard. right? Bradley Cooper is Dirk Benedict, and um, uh, District Nine. Um, oh, Charlotte Copley is uh, is Dwight. Wow, whatever. This actually makes me want to see it. It's really fun. John Hamm is in it. Is um, it available on demand, or will I have to search? It's available in my basement, and you could go home with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's just really fun it's just fun does a it use the the, movie. the tv theme yeah of course okay so yeah. i can watch it and sing sing sweet sweet and low low along. to your heart's content uh, what's next for you
1: my second film was a film that had me scratching my head the first time i saw it and then i went to work and one of my trusted workmates was ecstatic and singing its praises and then i saw it again and i was like why didn't i get this the first time <laughs> through but that certainly wouldn't be the first time that would happen um Especially considering his early success. I'm sorry, I'm doing a really bad job teasing this. It's The Life Aquatic with
0: Steve Zizou. Okay. This was on almost every list that I pulled up.
1: Now, I did not check to see if it was a financial success upon release. I don't believe it was. I don't think so either. But it's hard for me to imagine the people who loved and championed uh, Rushmore and um, the Royal Tannenbaum's n- not having this be right up their alley. Mm.
0: It's different. I'm I'm two. I'm the first guy, and I have yet to fall in love with Life Aquatic, and I've tried.
1: There's a lot to like. Sure, it's certainly trying to be something. I don't know if it's a little bit different or a lot different. <clears throat> I'd have to see all three films again. Yeah. It's certainly trying it's certainly trying to branch out from Rushmore and Royal Tannenbaums. It's certainly a larger story. It's certainly got more characters in it. Yeah. Um I think uh, Bill Murray's amazing. Sure. Um a lot of the subplots I like a lot. I think Willem Defoe is hilarious. Hmm. I think the fact that the soundtrack is David Bowie songs sung in Portuguese is terrific. And there's individual shots that I still remember. Why is it terrific?
0: <laughs> like I'm fine with it, but you saying it out loud irritated me just now. <laughs> like, and it's it's fine. It was so, I like the songs, okay. I worked on the you soundtrack. Can... But as you say it, I'm like, oh, that's just some Wes
1: Anderson bullshit, right? You can see that as being really up its own ass. Yeah.
0: But what I liked
1: about it was if. If you're a sentient being on this planet, you're probably very familiar with David Bowie's Greatest Hits. Right. It's in the ether. And I thought the fact that they're sung in a different style and in a different language lent this sort of exotic quality to them, while at the same time being something that's very, very familiar. Okay. Which I think is one thing the film is about, and that the film is about... Um, having an adventure or weighing adventure against the 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 mundane quality of real life. Um, there's individual shots in the film that I still remember. I don't think all of it works.
0: And this is the one that really does the the Jerry Lewis shot, right? Where we get the wide shot of the whole oh, yeah. boat. Okay. I need to revisit it. It's been a few years. Um, I know that my initial... Reaction, I'm sure, was informed by just how much I loved Royal Tenenbaums because I just was like, oh, my gosh. And I still would probably make a case that that's his best movie. Um, As would I. And this is different. It's a little colder, a little darker, and uh, I just wasn't ready for it. And I did revisit it a couple years later, but it's been – Sometime, So I definitely need to check it out again.
1: Many years ago, it might have been 14 years ago, now that I look, there was a crazy toy place by our house, which I think is still there. Only I would only see them at Wizard World Comic Con, and I stopped going to Wizard World Comic Con. Toink! Yeah. The toy place Toink? Yeah. They used to sell, God knows who were the manufacturer, Steve Zissou sneakers.
0: Yes, I've seen those before. Yeah. What a... What a thing to have. Yeah. Um, All right. My next one, studio comedy drama uh, from a filmmaker who was not making these kinds of movies and really hasn't made these kinds of movies ever since. Uh, A guy by the name of Gore Verbinski, most famous for, of course, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Yeah. um, In 2005, released this weird little character movie called The Weatherman starring Nicolas Cage. Uh, it was shot in Chicago, which was sort of what drew me to it initially, and the chance to see Nicolas Cage do some acting and not just not nonsense. Um, it's a weird movie in terms of who who is this movie for?
1: It's a great movie. It is. I first saw it at Ebertfest okay. under perfect conditions because okay. you're primed for something different, and it's so... Its own thing? Yes. It seems like it's based on a book, but I'm not sure if it's based on a book. I don't think it is. Um, The Michael Caine character is so specific, and the relationship between the two of them
0: is so odd. Um, They have a scene in a car where they're having a very heartfelt conversation, and Bob Seger's Like a Rock is playing on the radio. And I just feel like in any other movie... The movie would be sort of trying to have it both ways and giggling at this ironic song or like, haha, isn't this song kind of lame? And The Weatherman never does. No. It's fascinating the way it's just it's so not commercial. That's why I say, who is this movie for? Because it's for people who like good movies, you know, um, but it is so not commercial. The fact that I think Paramount put it out in wide release, I was kind of blown away. And one of the most realistic, soul crushing
1: Views of a marriage that's gone yeah, wrong. Yeah. At one point, they go to therapy or something and they're asked to write something down, and he won't show her later on. And spoiler alert, he finally does show her, but he shouldn't. And on the piece of paper, it's like, In the last year of our marriage, your blowjobs were less than enthusiastic, <laughs> which leads Hope Davis to go into this monologue where she very specifically explains right. why she was on un- it. Oh, it's so painful yeah. to watch. Oh Jesus. But I'd say one of the, one of the triumphs of that film is the Nicholas Cage <clears throat> character is very unlikable. And yet the film manages to get us to invest in him. Sure. Yeah. And, I don't know if he's redeemed at the end. I know he's in a different place at the end. And I think the film leaves it to us to make a value judgment. But I'm so glad you picked that one. It's so
0: great. I remember the marketing was very confusing. And it, it, it came out just a few years after... The Family Man, which is very commercial, and it's Nicolas Cage doing It's a Wonderful Life, basically. So now here's a few years later, we get this other movie, The Something Man, and oh, Nicolas Cage is in it again. And the marketing was like, oh, it's about this weatherman and people throw food at him. And I just, I don't know who they thought was going to come out to see and that movie. that's another great scene because the
1: Michael Caine character, his father, is famous for a very different reason. He's a famous author. Yeah. And there's a scene where Nicolas Cage has to explain to his father that people often throw food at him, and Michael Caine is, they throw food at you. <laughs> Just his his, un, his, uh, his uh, bewilderment yeah. at what his father, uh, what his uh, son has gotten into and the fact that uh, he changes his name when he... And it's so good. I'm so glad you picked that. All up. right, good. My next film is a very different kind of comedy, and when it came out, I loved it. <laughs> And as I continued to watch it, I loved it even more and wondered why people weren't getting excited. And then I bought the soundtrack and I listened to that
0: over and over. And I was like,
1: why doesn't this film get the love it deserves?
0: It's Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. That is one that I think people have come around on. The people who have seen it. It is so ambitious. It's amazing. It starts off as you can see the pitch. We're going to do a funny version of Walk the Line. Which seems so specific. Yeah. And that was, to me, like where Mel Brooks fell apart was when he just started parodying a movie instead of a whole genre.
1: A lot of it is Walk the Line with some stuff from the Ray Charles movie mixed in. But one of the hundred things I love about this film is as the film goes on, Dewey Cox becomes other rock and roll stars. Yes. In a universe where the real rock and roll right. star exists. At right. the beginning, you might think, oh, they're doing Elvis. But then Dewey Cox is on the bill with Elvis. Elvis, who's a crazy sociopath. <laughs> Jack White. Played by Jack White. <laughs> and uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Buddy Holly.
0: Oh, I don't remember who plays Buddy oh, Holly.
1: From, uh, from uh, The Wonder Years fred savage no 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 um i'm sorry um <laughs> i can't remember who plays oh frankie muniz frankie M- moon yeah and because he looks and sounds nothing like buddy holly they simply have everyone on screen address him as buddy holly
0: <laughs> they kind of do it with the beatles right again and
1: i have to say jack black <laughs> does not even try to sound like mccartney Paul Rudd is doing a John Lennon of the imagination. Justin Long nails George Harrison's voice. And Jason Schwartzman makes a face. That's that's (laughs) his impression. He does that weird twisted face. So Dewey Cox starts as um, Buddy Holly, and then he sort of morphs into Johnny Cash, because there's a lot of stuff from Walk the Line. And then he becomes Brian Wilson. Right. At the when end, he's he becomes Brian Wilson, crazy. Right. And then I would suggest oh, and then there's the Dylan phase right. where he's singing about little people. And then at the end, he's almost like Glenn Campbell. Yeah. Where he's, yeah. he's forced to be on this television show where it's all packaged and stuff. But I was talking about this with my lovely wife this afternoon. And she said the triumph of the movie is there's parts where you actually care. And she suggests and i agree
0: with her 100 percent, that last song that he sings
1: is tremendous and
0: moving so i would say my biggest issue with walk hard the dewey cox story and this is a stupid issue to have because it's a comedy and they want you to laugh is they give that song and it's genuinely moving and could probably make me cry and then they undercut it with a joke and, and start it with a joke. And the, the, the sentimental dork in me is like, no, 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 it's okay. You don't have to do the the cheap, like, oh, and then he died. But but that's one of my
1: favorite jokes and, in the movie.
0: It really is. And, I'm, and I know I'm in the minority on this, but I wish it would just end on this j- totally sincere, moving song.
1: But I also like, and I think it's Tim Meadows, that it's set up. Jesus you have Christ. to go out there and summarize your entire life and career in three and a half minutes.
0: Okay, so the day I saw Walk Hard, is it 2007? Yes. Okay, so it was, I remember seeing this uh, with my wife and both of our moms. It was like the only time the four of us ever went to see two movies together because we saw Juno and then we saw Walk Hard. I think I have the timing right. It was, but it was like they're both playing. Um, I'm almost positive I embarrassed everyone in my life. Laughing at the Tim Meadows, you don't want this. That it's running, not addictive. That running joke about drugs is and so the funny. and the scene with um, but drugs are not funny. The the Christopher Guest, um, David Letterman, the guy who played Letterman. Uh, oh my God, John Michael oh. Higgins! I'm going to give you one more
1: chance. I <laughs> in the studio when they're cutting the first record I laughed so <laughs>
0: goddamn hard before you that open your scene. mouth understand <laughs> and i just think it was it was you have to be kind of so savvy about biopics maybe Maybe that's the
1: case, because there's a scene where Dewey grows his hair long, and he's on drugs, and he's into this trampoline, and he's into this Brian Wilson-like period where he's doing these songs that are just so crazy yeah. and far out. In fact, at one point, Chris Parnell says, it isn't a, even a song. It's like six songs playing at the same time. It's like some sort of concerto. Um, and clearly, they're parenting all those crazy Beach Boys productions that got out of hand. But the song is called Black Sheep. And there's a part in the middle where it's just, I just close my eyes and I'm half the size that I used to be. Bye, bye. And... They really did get all these instruments, yeah. and it's it's this conglomeration. Because the punchline after he hears the playback is, "I want a hundred more didgeridoo. <laughs> I want an orchestra of didgeridoo." The,
0: the songs are genuinely good. Oh, John C. Riley gives a great performance, um, um, parroting every
1: bad biopic about early rock and roll. Um, he goes to work as a janitor in a black club. My clients want to hear this music and dance suggestively. Um, and, of course, one day the the headliner doesn't show up and Riley's been watching and he does this bravura rendition of You've
0: Got to Love Your Negro Man. <laughs> this movie is so funny! Yeah, it really is. I it, So far, this is the one that I'm going to put on first. Like, I know by the time we're done I'm going to want to watch ten movies, but this and is And I first. almost
1: watched it again this yeah. afternoon. Yeah. Um, And the last thing I'll say is the entire thing wouldn't work if it wasn't for John C. Riley. Oh, for sure. That his skill set is such that uh, between his comedy chops and the fact that he can actually sing, um, again, my wife was mentioning during his sad 70s variety show period uh dewey cox does a version of Starman by david bowie and they put him in this stupid looking space suit and yet my wife said it's a really good cover of star right right
0: (laughs) it's it's really good um it's so good and it actually just reminded me of uh, a movie that's not on my list but love and mercy is a really good movie. I just had that movie in my head the other day because I was thinking about the Beach Boys for some reason. And I meant and... to look this up. I'm guessing
1: it doesn't fall into the time frame that we're talking about tonight. But
0: the movie Grace of My Heart. Oh, my gosh. Um, so it's not just me. No. Um, Ileana Douglas was one of the first guests on that Trailers from Hell podcast. And she really knows her shit.
1: And was when was that made?
0: Uh, 90s? Yeah, Yeah, because I
1: saw that in the city. And in a very real way, Grace of My Heart, which I also <laughs> recommend, is the serious version yeah. of Dewey Cox. Yeah. Although they play the game that it's this alternate universe right. where right. Matt Dillon is Brian Wilson, but he's not Brian Wilson, right. which has problems. But um, That movie needs a Blu-ray, by the way. Burt Bacharach and Elvis Costello wrote this song that in the reality of the film is her big hit. And it's just very seldom in movies does that ever work. Yeah. But the song is called God Give Me Strength, and it is just one of the most beautiful songs ever written. Yeah, that
0: movie needs a Blu-ray for sure. I was, as Uh, we were talking- John Turturro plays um, Phil Spector, although he's not Phil Spector. Right, right. Um, As we were- Talking about uh, Walk Hard, I was looking up Jake Kasdan's filmography because I'm like, hey, he's a good comedy director. I mean, that's a really good movie. He started with Zero Effect, which is like one of my favorite movies. Um, He does a ton of TV and I was ready to say like, oh, his feature film work is real hit or miss. But it's actually not bad. Like, so he comes out with Zero Effect. Amazing. Follows it up with Orange County. Just okay, Right. Uh, then he makes a movie called The TV Set. Have you ever seen The TV Set? No. I want to say Judd Apatow wrote it. It's very sort of autobiographical, just about how TV works. I think Apatow wrote it in the wake of like the Freaks and Geeks debacle. Mm-hmm. It's very well observed. Um, David Duchovny is playing sort of a TV writer. And... I
1: tend to get Jake Kazdan confused with someone
0: else. So what are his other films? Well, so I'm going through them. <laughs> um, then he does Walk Hard. Then he does Bad Teacher, which I would argue is funnier than people give it credit for being. Sure. I get that it's kind of a one-joke movie, but I think it's decent. Um, Tons of TV in there. Then he does one of the worst studio comedies I've ever seen, Sex Tape. Oh, wow. That's Kazdan, Wow. Yeah. And I don't know how that happened. And then he bounces back with uh, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, which I have to believe has bought him the rest of his career.
1: Because I hope so. So now here's who I'm confusing Jake Kasdan with. Okay. Um, the director
0: of Up in the Air. Uh, the other nepotism, of uh, Jason Reitman. Which is why I'm <laughs> right, making that exactly. mistake. And By I'm, the way, Ivan Reitman, guest at Wizard World. Did you see that? The email just came out today.
1: I might be going because okay. a
0: friend of ours finally published his comic book. You can get your Legal Eagles poster signed. Or just ask him, what is this movie? What is Legal Eagles?
1: I, you know, I have no compunction about talking to the famous. I have all the compunctions, and I'll wait for when there's no line because there will be a time where that happens. Yeah, and um, and just asking him as I walk
0: by instead of Just read of, the shitty movies on his resume. My super ex girlfriend. I have. What was that? A sentimental affection for him. Listen, he's no, very important. Yeah, um, mm. I, I. I really like Ivan Reitman. I yeah. just also know that he made a lot of terrible movies. But I'm movies. also wondering
1: why he's – because this yeah.
0: this show that we're
1: talking about, which is sort of the Comic-Con in the Chicago area, um, has degenerated into a shitty autograph show. And that's a shame because I went for years and years with my son, and it <clears> used to be something fun and special. I remember – I'll keep this short yeah. – wandering into this big ballroom, and neither of us knew what was going on. And it was Kevin Smith just talking for an hour Yeah. yeah. and it was free yeah. with your ticket to Wizard World. Right. And then 15 years later,
0: we paid $50 a piece for the same thing at the Chicago theater. And it wasn't as good. Right. I didn't go the second time I saw him at Wizard World and it was, you know, this is back when he was telling the Superman story right. and before he put everything on a DVD. And then
1: basically the Chicago
0: theater show. <laughs>
1: and I, I know you've had some health problems, Kevin. So let, I'm glad you're better. Um, he basically came out and said any questions. And I guess that's fine, but if I'm paying 50 bucks, I wish there were some prepared material or every night does he know that the questions will lead. To-
0: well, I think that's kind of what it is because I remember watching something, I don't know if it was like on Showtime or a DVD it, one of his specials. It's any questions. First guy asks a question, and that's the rest of the special. That he never gets to a second question. It's just this ninety-minute monologue in response to this one question. Right,
1: but we don't know.
0: Oh, absolutely. Could that much have been like and editing going exactly? On, so. I don't know. The Chicago theater
1: thing was underwhelming, but I I wish him well. And absolutely. at the beginning of Comic Con, it was something really special.
0: Um. The first Shrek came out in the 2000s, right? So this a four-way tie between all of the Shreks. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so I'm trying to segue off of yours. Uh, so I'll go with a movie There's about... There's no segue a,
1: off, Walk hard.
0: An actor... No, listen. An actor pr- playing a fake musician to a real musician trying to act for the first time. Uh, and I'm going to go with 2007's My Blueberry Nights, which... I am the only person that likes, and I understand why. It is, uh, you know, Wong Kar-wai's, I believe, American debut. He cast Nora Jones as the lead, and it's basically just a road movie where she travels across the country and meets various colorful characters, including Natalie Portman and Rachel Weiss and uh, Jude Law. This is Nora Jones. Don't know why. Yeah. And, okay. yeah. That's um, Rabbi Shanker's uh, daughter. I know. Uh, there's another connection, right? Walk hard, the Beatles. Anyway, so, um, I believe this was one of those Miramax movies that got cut to shit. Um, I think it was much longer and perhaps more ambitious. And I don't think Wong Kar Wai was particularly happy with, uh, the treatment of the movie. And yet I still like the version that got, Released and I haven't seen it, but it did show up on a lot of those lists today. Did it? Oh yeah. Okay, that's surprising because I genuinely thought, since when I saw it theatrically, oh, no one likes this. I but thought
1: me. it was it was interesting that
0: it was one of the few films that showed up more than once that I hadn't seen. Okay, I like Nora Jones in the movie. I recognize that you know she wasn't probably going to go on to a huge acting career, but I think she is such that. What the movie asks her to do, she's very good at doing because she's sore soda what? So sort of small and not meek, but um everyone else ends up sort of projecting onto her. And she does have songs in the movie. I mean she doesn't sing, no. Oh. No. Oh she like I don't even remember her job. She might be a waitress.
1: Um, if you get a chance, it's on YouTube. Uh, Nora Jones was on Sesame Street and did this very charming thing with Elmo where they changed the lyrics of her biggest hit. And it's now about the letter Y mm-hmm. and it's don't know why. Got it. Why didn't come. So they're both waiting for the letter Y mm-hmm. to show up. And it's charming. All
0: right. <laughs> Trust um, me. it's It's, again, it's a very uneven movie. It's beautifully shot. Rachel Weiss is giving a crazy performance as sort of a she's in this relationship with David Strathern. Um, I don't know. It just, just interesting the cast makes me. Yeah, want to see I mean, it. and it's just uh I couldn't even tell you what it is that I like about it. It was just a movie that I liked living in for 90 minutes or two hours or whatever it was. My next one
1: I watched again on cable a couple nights ago, and I understand why some people hate it. <laughs> The, you were sounding like Andy Rooney when
0: you started that.
1: <laughs> Did you ever notice <laughs> when you really like a film and then Chaby chimes in and says it wasn't worth his time? Sometimes I wonder about Chaby and what his life is like. You understand why people don't like it? Yeah. Okay. But I would suggest, and I don't mean to play this tease game to a mm. to a nauseating degree, too late. <laughs> that what might put some people off about the film mm-hmm. is what makes it great and what it was trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's from 2003, and it's called Wonderland. Yes. Okay. And there's a lot of reasons to watch this film. One of them is the cast. Yes. The cast is like, oh, my God, they're all in the same movie? Crazy. Uh, Kate Bosworth and Lisa Kudrow and Val Kilmer and... Um, Janine Garofalo. Uh, in a Dillard very small part. Um, Eric Bogosian yeah, yeah, shows yeah. up. Yeah. And I would suggest a lot of people don't like it because it's very dark and very confusing. They play this Rashomon game where different people are giving their version of the story. But given that a big part of the story revolves around drug addiction, I thought they did that on purpose. And I thought it was very, very effective. Because when all you're doing is hanging out in this apartment and you're just, you're very fixated on where your next. Uh drug dose is coming from maybe that's what life is like. Um, it is the real life story of the Wonderland murders that John Holmes, the famous porn star, was involved with in a very real way. It's a very serious rendering of a scene in boogie right. nights that's presented, scene, right. that's presented as comedy right. um well no, I would disagree with that. I would suggest that many of the things that uh, Alfred Molina says are meant to be funny. We do take the threat seriously. Yeah. But when they're all running down the street because the car won't start and he's firing the shotgun down the street,
0: I think that's presented comedically. I think it's presented comedically enough. I guess I was thinking about leading up to that because I remember seeing it theatrically and between the fireworks and between how long oh yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson holds on mark Wahlberg's face i remember sitting in the theater feeling unbearably tense and admiring how long he was letting it go i was like this is amazing it's
1: very very suspenseful yeah um wonderland has this really sleazy quality to it yeah and you might think well that's because it was low budget or maybe this reason it was shot very fast i read somewhere what the shooting schedule was but again i think that's one of the good things about it in that we are talking about things that are very, very, very sleazy.
0: I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, and my biggest memory of it is going back to movies that own a song. That movie for me owns, if you could read my mind. Right. Is that the one I'm trying to remember?
2: I think you're right.
0: I I, I want to say that movie owns that song. Um, it was very sad at the end. Oh, yeah. I mean, the song is sad, but then to, when you play it over what has happened in the movie, it's like, oh, that's, that's tremendously sad.
1: I read that uh, Val Kilmer, in his best method acting mode, uh, got Josh Lucas. I think that's the actor's name.
0: The guy that they tried to make a thing for so many years. Yeah. yeah.
1: That the two of them actually spent a night in the real wonderland apartment to get, how does that make your
0: performance better? Well,
1: it's super fucking creepy. Um, it's worth a look. I'm guessing that's the film on my list that the fewest people who are listening to this have seen. Um, it it sounds like you're remembering not liking it very much.
0: I remember being okay about it. Like, well, that was well acted, but it just made me ask, like, but why did we tell that story? I would almost rather see a documentary on that same thing. I think it was hurt a little bit by being, like, the fourth or fifth movie yeah. around that time to be about porn in general.
1: And it's interesting that you say you'd rather see a documentary about it because at one point I owned it on Blu-ray, and the Blu-ray came with a free bonus disc –
0: that might be on the DVD also.
1: That was yeah. a documentary about John Holmes.
0: Yeah. I, that what might also many? be on the DVD. Yeah, because there was one that was like a special feature, I want to say, on the Criterion Laserdisc of Boogie Nights.
1: Okay. That, the what you're referring to is Exhausted. The Boogie Nights one. Right. Yeah.
0: and Is that they, also
1: on the Blu-ray? No, no, no. It's a different documentary about John Holmes. No, I know.
0: I know. But I'm saying, did that make it to the Boogie Nights Blu-ray? I'm not sure. Okay. It was on the Laserdisc because right. it was this documentary. It's the one that right. they're making about
1: Dirk Diggler in the movie. And it actually surprised me because on the Criterion Laserdisc, it was the documentary, but without the porn. Because the documentary right. was an excuse to show right. scenes from his career. right? But- It surprised me that Paul Thomas Anderson was okay with them including it because if you watch Exhausted with the porn or without the porn, the stuff in Boogie Nights is just – Yes. It's straight – Yeah. I mean it's exactly what was – down to one of the clips where the camera tracks through that bar. Yeah. And try this. It's the best in the city and you see that Holmes wasn't the greatest actor. Um, Boogie Nights is like the best movie ever made.
0: (laughs) So good so you uh try try wonderland you just inspired me to add a movie to my list so and i've lost track but uh you're on number four all right i've got a bunch of movies here so i'm sure i can come up with 10 because again i'm trying to segue off of your picks i'm going to go with paul schrader's autofocus uh starring greg kinnear as bob crane star of hogan's heroes and creep (laughs) and here's the
1: segue And what a, man, that's, this is the perfect, Wonderland will make you want to take a shower. And I still remember the first time I saw autofocus. Oh, my God. The creep factor. Yeah. And the scene that I can't get out of my mind, but I want to get out of my mind. Uh, Bob Crane, who was this famous TV star and beloved, even back when he was a DJ. He was just this very wholesome thing. Really loved porn, and he had one of the earlier VCR setups, and he would would videotape himself having sex. There's a scene in autofocus where he's in his basement watching one of these things, and um, Willem Dafoe is on the couch with him, and Willem Dafoe says something like, Do you mind? Mm. And Willem
0: Dafoe takes it out and starts jerking off. That is literally Willem Dafoe's opening line everywhere. (laughs) If you ever meet Willem Dafoe, I promise within the first five minutes, he's going to say, I Um, love Willem Dafoe, please. But he will jerk off in front of you.
1: There's a lot of people who don't consider sex addition addiction seriously so we've had a hundred movies about alcoholism right i think autofocus is one of the few if
0: not the only movie that really shows you yeah. how this no there are other movies um the michael fassbender one oh shame yeah yeah um and there was like the the sitcom version uh with mark ruffalo and gwyneth paltrow oh thank um, you for thank you for sharing thank you for sharing yeah
1: um both of those films yes. were on some of these lists I looked at. Interesting. Today. But I disagree. Um, autofocus is so great for so many different reasons. Uh, Greg Kinnear's performance. Great. I mean the recreation of the different time oh, yeah, periods. Yeah. Um, who's um the actress who plays his first wife? Is it Rita Wilson? Yeah. Yeah. Rita Wilson's performance as It slowly dawns on her what this really is. Yeah. And then his second marriage, which is uh, Maria Bello. Right.
0: And, hmm... I Greg Kinnear is so good in this movie yes. that if there was any justice he would have at least gotten an Oscar nomination um, I feel like he's not always taken real seriously as an actor because he started out as you know hosting talk soup and then he's got his kind of late night show and then Sidney Pollack puts him in Sabrina and he tends to do these very kind of light you know now he's you get a Greg Kinnear type basically he's yeah. he's the boyfriend that the You know, the woman leaves at the end to be with the guy she's supposed to be with.
1: But there's other performances, and I would count among them his brief yet hilarious performance in Mystery Men, where he shows you that he's more than just that,
0: you know, he's not the modern Ralph Bellamy. The – his ability to sort of play both his incredible charm and against his charm in autofocus is – very inspired, and it's worth seeing just for his performance. But the movie is really, really good. Yeah,
1: It I would, I would recommend that wholeheartedly. But have soap and a washcloth handy, <laughs> and don't watch the movie with anyone else because that person, especially Willem Dafoe, is going to say, Do you mind if while we watch this film? Also, I would suggest, usually, it's like uh, Truffaut's famous quote about war that once you put it on screen. Uh, You can't help, but people are going to get excited and going to want to kill people. The sex in autofocus is not sexy sexy, in any way, shape, or form. There's this fantasy sequence where there's like an orgy on the set of Hogan's Heroes. (laughs) 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 What movie will help me get that out of my head? Well, this isn't going to help. My next film is Half Nelson. From okay. two thousand and six. All right. And I remember driving to the music box theater, the happiest place on earth. I saw And it I there had too. certain expectations for this as a little independent film, and I was not familiar with Ryan Gosling at all. It was early for him. Having not seen that notebook thing that everyone was crazy about. And I had certain expectations going in because of course the film is about a teacher and I'm a teacher and it really blew me away in not being the obvious version of this story and having some twists and having some real human emotion. The relationship between him and the student is certainly not something out of any other movie I've seen. And it's a small film. But it's really, really good. And certainly that puts him on the path to more adventurous, better parts, more complicated parts or harder parts or something. But it wasn't Half Nelson sort of the beginning of that journey? I think journey. so, yeah. Because for the longest time, I thought he was Ryan Reynolds. I thought Gosling and Reynolds were the same person. They are not.
0: Um, and those filmmakers, Anna Fleck and Ryan Bowden, have made a handful of movies and are now making Captain Marvel Oh, with Brie Larson out next year. I just watched a movie that they had made that I didn't realize they had made uh, called Mississippi Grind with Ben Mendelsohn, who's always great. And uh, in fact, I considered putting Killing Them Softly on here because he's so good in it. Um, Now I've I've lost the thread. Killing Me
1: Softly for Ben Mendelsohn, not for those two filmmakers.
0: Uh, eh? Correct.
1: Because Killing Them Softly is an amazing film that everyone hated when it came out. Yeah. I saw it in a theater for the three days it played. I did too. And um, someone I worked with walked in at the last minute and sat down. And the next week at work, I said, what did you think? And then cleverly didn't say anything. He said, it's the worst movie I've ever seen. Oh, well, that's ridiculous um, um killing them softly is great
0: you liked half nelson but didn't love it oh so mississippi grind is very much uh, california split down to the title it's ben mendelson and ryan reynolds on a gambling tear and i realized uh i don't like movies about uh out of control gamblers because i don't like the way it makes me feel anyway um i don't remember half nelson that well i saw it at the music box and i remember liking it not being completely blown away by it and remember so little about it that i can't even weigh in on oh, okay it. i'm yeah. going to take that as a positive because yeah. um i think it rewards uh
1: further viewings uh i remember just recently maybe in the last year uh the music box has a series where the staff gets to pick what oh, yeah. they show occasionally and i finally got to see california split in a movie theater good god and uh i think it Oh, it was one of the projectionists had picked it and got to introduce the film and sort of prepared the audience for what they were in for, because when that movie's over, at least in a movie theater, you' it's exhausting f- you feel that you've been in the movie theater for the entire weekend, yeah, it's crazy good,
0: yeah. Speaking of good Robert Altman, I have no good segue for uh, Half Nelson, unfortunately. So I'll just go here. I'll put you in a Half Nelson. Oh, thank you. you... (laughs) Oh, it's the magic of radio. body hurts. Um, I'm going to go with uh, from 2005, The Ice Storm, directed by Harold Ramis. Recently, I believe, announced for a Blu-ray from Kino Lorber.
1: Wait, now I'm confused.
0: Not The Ice Storm, The Ice Harvest. Yes. It helps when I call the movie the right title. Uh, The Ice Storm is a very good movie, but Uh, from the 90s, right? Yeah. So wouldn't count for this, uh, but really, really good. Um, The Ice Harvest is Harold Ramis, a little sort of neo-noir with John Cusack and Billy Bob Thornton and Oliver Platt in an amazing performance, stealing the movie. Um, Another movie shot in Chicago, coincidentally... uh, it makes me wish that Harold Ramis got the chance to make other kinds of movies. Yeah. Because this is one of my favorite contemporary film noirs. And talk about a film that just dropped off the radar. Yeah. And
1: for the longest time I had a problem because I was continually confusing it with the uh, with the high school reunion movie. Gross point blank that I, for some reason, thought it was Gross Point Blank, yeah. which is entertaining, but Ice Harvest
0: is a superior film. I mean, they they have different goals. I think Gross Point Blank is a comedy first and foremost, yeah. and Ice Harvest really isn't. No. There are moments of comedy, courtesy mostly of Oliver Platt, but it is a dark movie. <laughs> no, Ice Harvest <laughs> is, is a great choice. Um, to cheat
1: on the list, because yeah. at some point today... We were going to do five, and then I had this embarrassment of riches. So I was like, Can we do 10? Yeah. And Patrick texted back, Yes, we can (laughs) do 10, but I'm still going to cheat because my next choice is a David Cronenberg double feature. Interesting. History of Violence. We're doing 11. Okay. Eastern Promises uh, from 2005 and 2007. And we've told the story before because I saw history of violence with you. That's right. And it's terrific and it's new and it's unlike anything you've ever seen. And as it fades to black in the theater, one of the few other people in the theater loudly says, you gotta be fucking kidding me. (laughs) Remember? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because the end is a triumph of irony or whatever you want to call it. Um, This is Cronenberg's mainstream Vigo Mortensen phase. Yeah. Uh, both films do a lot of things astoundingly well. Um, uh, what, what's it called? Non-verbal
0: communication. Am I right in thinking you like one of these films a lot better than the I other? I think I like History of Violence a lot better than Eastern Promises, but I maybe have only seen <laughs> Eastern Promises once. Um, Eastern Promises has an action scene
1: where two men try to kill each other in a steam bath. That is one of the best action scenes I've ever seen, and also uh, presenting uh, Russian mobsters in a way unlike they've they're usually presented in movies. I agree that History of Violence is the better film, um, but I sort of consider them of a piece because they came out so yeah. close together, and because I'm such a big Cronenberg fan. History of Violence, Eastern Promises. Make yourself a pop. Make yourself some popcorn, Cronenberg violence that's a, yeah, that's double a dark, feature. It's a dark night. Oh, no, it's, it's a very dark night. <laughs> and I also remember um, in the film, uh, in History of Violence, uh, Viggo Mortensen has a very interesting relationship with his wife, Maria Bello. There's Maria Bello again. Yep. And at one point, she dresses up like a cheerleader for him. Yeah. And I remember sitting in the theater 13 years ago and thinking, wow,
0: <laughs> what a great wife. I have uh so much anger at myself right now <laughs> because I have a list on with my, my cheerleaders. phone. Uh, yeah. I have a list on my phone and I wasn't scrolled all the way so uh, the top was cut off, right? So you name uh so I'm I'm throwing in a bonus movie. This isn't my next pick. I'm just not going to end up talking okay. about it. But you name Walk Hard and I go with my Blueberry Nights thinking like, "Well, there's my segue. The top movie on my list is I'm Not There." which would have been a much better transition from uh, Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story. That's Todd Haynes' Bob Dylan biopic. And I'm so glad that you brought that
1: up because the whole time I'm preparing my list, I kept thinking, I don't know much, but that's going to make Patrick's list. (laughs) That was my favorite movie the year it came out. I know it's going to make Patrick's list. And I have to say, because this doesn't happen very often because I'm obstinate and and, uh, hard-headed. The first time I saw it, I didn't like it and didn't know what to think. And your enthusiasm for it is what caused me to go back. And I think I've seen it three more times. Um, That's probably two more times than me. No, it's really outstanding. And just, wow. When you
0: consider what this could have been. And here's a way to do this thing that nobody's ever done before. Um, So it's great if you haven't seen it. It's challenging, but worth it. And the transition is...
1: Um, that you can have a double feature of Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, and I'm not there, and decide who plays Bob Dylan best, John C. Riley or Kate Blanchett.
0: <laughs> Alright, so that's since that's technically not my next yes, pick. It's a bonus pick. I am going with something pretty recent, uh as recent as two years ago. This was on my top ten, and I'm still arguing about this movie because I can't get anyone to agree with me. Go ahead. Hail Caesar.
1: Oh, okay. I thought for sure that something else was going to appear on your list, and it still might. Um, I need to revisit Hail Caesar, Please although do. I've now seen it twice.
0: I thought the second time would have done it.
1: I like pieces. I don't think it adds up, although you had said that the through line is the concept of faith. At one point, is that what you said? Am Part I of it, yeah. Who do you Who do you serve? Um... To me, it screams secondary Coen's, Mm. those films that aren't quite up to the level. Um, Speaking of which, uh, courtesy of TCM Fathom Events, last week I got to see Big Lebowski in an actual movie theater. Mm -hmm. My God, that movie's great. Okay, that's a tangent. Um, Someone once wrote Tim Lucas a letter. Tim Lucas is the editor of the late, great video watchdog. And this letter was... Probably pretty asinine to this guy who, for more than a decade, put out this outstanding film publication that was just the greatest thing ever. And um, it was sort of a fanish letter, but also took him to task and said, I love some of the articles, but other articles are about films that I just don't like or have never heard of or don't care about. And Tim Lucas's famous reply is, you should keep rereading those articles until you do like those films, <laughs> and I think that might be the case with *Hail Caesar*. That maybe, just maybe, if I watch it again and again, well, here's a here's a good litmus test in the in the world of the Cohen brothers. Yes, where
0: would you put *Hudsucker Proxy*? I think I used to put it a little bit higher. Um and then I revisited it and I think it is more minor Cohen's. I like it. I, I mean I think it's good, but I don't know that I put it in the top half.
1: Because my reaction to Hail Caesar is exactly my reaction to Hudsucker. I like pieces of it yeah. more than the whole.
0: Which I totally get, especially with Hail, Caesar, because of the way it's structured, it's very episodic, where it's like, here's this really fun scene or this plot line or whatever. Um, and much like the
1: artist, which hmm. I hate, <laughs> it seems that given me right, right, right. who you, you know yeah. where I'm going with yeah. this, Hail, Caesar is made for me to love it.
0: Yes, I, I still think and I could be wrong. Um, I still think with some time and distance, this is going to be elevated in their canon. I think people are going to say, oh, wait, that was much better than we gave it credit for. And I can't think of another movie in their filmography that's like that necessarily. I mean, Miller's Crossing, to some extent, I think people kind of slept on. And then, yeah. as the years went by, they were like, "Oh, wait, Miller's Crossing." You watch Holy it now shit! And it's yeah, just right. What were people um, thinking? And Barton Fink, to some extent, but Barton Fink won, I think, the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, I think. I think so too. Um, I think Hail, Caesar is so much better than people give it credit for. I also made the mistake of uh, my first time teaching a film class at college. I thought, well, "What should I show them the very first night? I want them to watch a movie." This has stars they will recognize, Channing Tatum and George Clooney. It's about Klooney. the film industry. It's about the – so it's going to introduce them to some of this, but it's probably something they haven't seen. It's a little bit more challenging. Um, almost to a person, it was the movie they hated most all semester.
1: So Okay, so well, that.
0: that should shame me into liking it
1: because God <laughs> no, knows – Not my point in saying that. <laughs> if I have the same taste as undergraduate first-year film students – You loved The Meg – I did not, I'm love, I did I'm not love The Meg. I'm joking. Uh, my next film is from 2007. I remember liking it then. I wonder why it doesn't get shown and talked about very much anymore. Uh, Sidney Lumet's swan song,
0: Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. I just brought this up yeah. a couple podcasts ago. Because I, I just watched it for the first time since 2007. And uh,
1: it's so good. Good God. In so many ways. Um the very complicated story structure that where he keeps all the pay- plates spinning.
0: The performances. So I think I mentioned this on the podcast, but there's a scene where the movie starts to come into a different kind of focus where you realize Philip Seymour Hoffman is doing things for different reasons than you initially thought. Yeah, And it's him and Marissa Tomei in a car, I think, yeah. where he's kind of having a breakdown. Uh-huh. And she is like scared and sad and disgusted all at the same time. And his performance is unbelievable
1: before the devil knows you're dead. Might be the first time I was really late to the party on this one that I started taking Ethan Hawke, um, seriously and really liking his work because what he does in that movie is amazing. Speaking of which, yeah, I recently saw the new Eugene Jarecki film, The King, which all of you should avoid. Okay. It's really bad. Got it. And I was surprised they gave Mr. Jarecki a second chance because a few years ago, on my birthday, we went to see Why We Fight, which is a better documentary but is manifestly depressing if you have any love or hope for this country. And it wasn't a very good birthday movie. The, The King is a mess for a number of reasons. But here's why I bring it up. He rents, buys, borrows Elvis Presley's Rolls Royce, and instead of setting his talking heads in some anonymous study somewhere, he interviews them from the back of the car while it's driving. So visually, it's interesting. Okay. And there's also musical performances from the backseat because the back seat's so goddamn big. There's like a four-piece band playing music. And why? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe to break things up. Here's why I bring this up. <clears throat> the only talking head who's of any interest is Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke is in the film pontificating about the phenomenon that was Elvis and that should have been the entire movie Okay, because Ethan Hawke has so many interesting things to say it's like I don't care if he's in the back of the car I really don't but ha- have him say more things because he's really has a handle on this and he's great and I think before the devil knows you're dead is the first time I thought this guy's really good yeah Or maybe it was sort of the first mature part I saw him in because when he started out.
0: Yeah, well, he was a child actor and then he did a lot of like kind of teeny bop movies. He's in Dead Poet Society. He is. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, he made some not great movies. Um, But then in like the mid 90s. It starts to turn around. He goes through kind of a pretentious phase, but that's when he starts doing the before movies, which you still haven't seen any of, right? No, I'm saving them. For when? My funeral. Oh, all
1: right.
0: (laughs) You should see them. They're good. In the church, it's going to be a triple feature of the before
1: movies. Um, I'm
0: hoping Linklater shows up. This is probably all stuff that I said when I talked about the movie, but but I just watched it two weeks ago. I was blown away by the fact that it was directed by a man in his 70s because you would swear it's directed by a 25-year-old if not for the movie's sort of understanding of the world and yeah. family pain and you know there's things in it that only a mature adult kind of can pull off um but in terms of just how confidently it's directed and for years and years i just would see Sidney Lumet movies and know okay he's one of the greats and you know oh cool here's another sidney lumet movie and it, it really honestly hasn't been until the last 2 or 3 years i think because you know i finally saw 12 angry men and i finally saw running on empty and rewatching this. Um, He was so great. And uh, I I, I don't know if there's another director I can think of who's better with actors making this list today,
1: given when he made the film and this has become a great cliche on social media, but I began to call before the (laughs) devil knows you're dead. um, Sidney Lumet's hold my beer movie. Yeah. Oh, look at all this work that's being done by these young filmmakers. Hold my beer. Yeah. Uh, It is so complicated and so
0: good and so assured and you all need to see before the devil knows you're dead absolutely Uh, my next pick will probably surprise no one it is from 2002 and it is what i think is the most underrated film from one of my favorite directors and that is brian de palma and that is femme fatale Um, i know that he has other movies that people would consider underrated some people like mission to mars that's cool uh, Snake Eyes is maybe close to being underrated. It's not entirely successful. I think Femme Fatale is a genuine masterpiece, um, but probably only if you really like Brian De Palma movies, because it is the ultimate Brian De Palma movie. It in is a lot him. of ways, yeah. It is him saying, like, here's all the stuff I do, and here it is in this movie done really, really well um i remember the year it came out entertainment weekly in one of their great uh show offy like we're better than everyone they named it as either the worst or one of the worst movies of the year oh christ they of course did the same to oh brother where art thou a handful of other movies <laughs> oh, um fam Tale, okay. one of the worst movies of the year
1: my uh this is a tangent but um i guess they're still publishing it i haven't read it in a long time um when Entertainment Weekly started, I liked it, and I subscribed, and then they did that shit so much, I canceled my subscription, and then about a year went by, and I re-upped. Yeah, I think I've canceled my subscription to Entertainment Weekly four separate times. It was like, who is this Owen Gleiberman, and what the hell? Um, those of you with the Comcast cable, speaking of femme fatale, there's a really weird cable channel way down the list called decades. And I think it's owned by CBS. I think if you don't have cable, you know, when they did the digital switch, a whole bunch of TV stations got extra channels. So if you're, if you have an antenna, like there's 26, 26.1, 26.2, because buzzer is one of those channels you can get with an antenna. If you know how to safe cracker, like tune it. Um, There's a channel called Decades that's built around old reruns, and then they hired Bill Curtis to go through the CBS News Library. And the, the, uh, the, the cornerstone show is a show called Through the Decades, where every night he talks about what happened on that date. So there's 365 shows, and I don't know if they rotate or something or if they stay the same, but that's the signature show. But the other thing they show is reruns of Ed Sullivan, mm-hmm. which are fun, mostly musical acts, and reruns of the various iterations of the Dick Cavett show. If they show this again, they devoted an entire week. They had a theme week, like Merv Griffin. Uh, they did a filmmaker's week where uh, one of the nights it was his famous interview with Alfred Hitchcock, et cetera, et cetera. Here's why I'm bringing this up. If you can possibly catch it and DVR it. He did two shows with Brian De Palma and Martin Scorsese. Um, the Fury had just come out. Okay. And New York, New York had just come out. Interesting, And together it's two half hours and I taped it. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I recorded it and watched it more than once. It's really, really good if you can catch it because it's at a really interesting point of their career. Yeah. But they're not yet the accepted, acknowledged masters. They're at this... Okay. And the way the two of them talk about film is very interesting and full of delights. And for once, Cavett sort of sits back and doesn't play an obnoxious game that he sometimes play. It's very worth your time if you can find it on cable and DVR it. And that's um, Scorsese and De Palma.
0: I can't remember the documentary De Palma well enough to remember I, – I don't feel like they spent any time talking about femme fatale. A little bit at
1: the end. Okay. And certainly in terms of the esteem that you hold it in and for what I recognize it to be, it's odd that they spend so little time on it because just in terms of the arc of the documentary – yeah that could have been used to sort of summarize some things.
0: I would think so. I think it's his last uh, genuinely great movie. I wish there was a Blu-ray of it. There is not. So that and grace of my heart. Please put them on Blu-ray. Uh, I, maybe the movie wasn't taken super seriously because it cast Rebecca Romaine Stamos as its mm-hmm. lead. And, of course, how can we possibly take her seriously? Um, I think it's a masterpiece. I love it.
1: My next film is the oldest film on my list okay. from all the way back in 2001. I don't even remember that time. Well, remember we found that monolith <laughs> in the backyard, and oh, when we touched right. it, all sorts of crazy shit happened. That's right. Um, it's a film that was directed by, hold on, it's late in the night. It has a famous actor who directed it, mm-hmm. and it's coming to me. Okay. It's not coming to me. All right. You will fill this in. All right. Um, It's called The Pledge. Uh, Sean Penn. Sean Penn directed it. Um, It's one of Jack Nicholson's last... I'm not winking at you playing the Joker performances. This is
0: 70s Jack Nicholson. Yeah.
1: And it's refreshing. And it's um, a very interesting story that's very plainly told. Uh, the performances are excellent. The cast is excellent. It came out. I really, really liked it. For a long time, I had the poster on the wall of my classroom. Really? Because I was trying
0: to encourage okay. kids
1: to see something a little out of the ordinary. And where did that film go?
0: Oh, yeah. The high school students would get nothing from that movie. I don't think. Unless they could say, like, well, Nicholson was good. I kept trying.
1: Yeah. In the face of adversity. So... Number one, I didn't dream
0: the film. It exists. It it exists. And it's really good. My memory is that I really liked it. Yeah, Yeah. I don't think I've seen it since the theater in 2001. And I can't remember the last time I saw it, but
1: I was making the list and I said, what happened to that one?
0: I remember Nicholson being really good and it being really dark and hard to watch. It reminds me a little bit. I think you recommended this last
1: week or the week before on iStream, uStream. The Heist? Heist.
0: Heist. Yes. That's a um, great movie.
1: Yeah. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of that in terms of we get a late a late in the day performance from oh, yeah. a, a very famous star, and sure. they're both really excellent and doing great work that's not winkety-wink or yeah. making fun of one of their previous successes. Yeah, for
0: sure. Um, I'm running out of like good titles because I was trying to avoid movies that I've talked about a bunch on here. Um and yet I'm not going to right now because I'm going to go with another movie that I've talked about endlessly on this goddamn website. I've written about it. Uh it is another movie based on a TV show after the A-Team.
1: <laughs> I know what it is. Yeah,
0: it is Miami Vice from I think 2006 directed by Michael Mann. Again, I've Patrick talked about this movie. He loves
1: himself the Miami Vice so much. In fact, I kept wanting to bring it up when you were talking about the A-Team yeah. but didn't because I wasn't interested in you talking. No, I haven't seen it yet. Okay. The only thing I know about Miami Vice, yeah, is your inexplicable love for it. <laughs> because in terms of both of our lists, one of yeah. the one of the the criteria was that no one talks about these films, right? And certainly, other than this website.
0: I don't see serious Miami Vice discussion. I don't think so, no. Um, And I don't even know that I could articulate. I mean, I tried to write about why I love it. Um, It was a movie that I avoided writing about for a long time because I was sort of intimidated by it, and then it finally clicked into place. Um, There are two versions, unfortunately. The longer director's cut is the one that's widely available. It's good. It doesn't have the same opening. Uh, The theatrical cut opens in the middle of a nightclub music blasting. And it's this amazing opening and the longer cut gets rid of that. So it's not as, but whatever. Um, it, uh, it's a movie that I liked when I saw it theatrically. And then as time went on, I just kept thinking about it and appreciating how different it was from all the other cop movies and all the other action movies and, uh, how deep into the world, Michael Mann, is willing to go. Every actor that shows up is somebody that you're happy to see. The fact that it's Michael Mann is reason enough to see
1: it. I was thinking about my checkered experience with director's cuts and how they're such a mixed bag. And I've told the story before. My wife and I sit down to watch Ray, and the DVD gives us a choice of which version to watch. And we pick the the director's cut. And it seems like five hours passed. And he wasn't blind yet. <laughs> and we were like, just how long is this? But then I think about something like Kingdom of Heaven, the Ridley Scott film. I've never seen in either version. Where the director's cut really adds significant stuff. But the story I'm remembering is I wrote a column about The Swarm. Yes. The Irwin Allen the Killer Bee movie. And it's only available as the longer cut. And. There's these risible scenes where people have bee fever and they're hallucinating <laughs> giant bees. And there's even a scene where um, she was Elaine in the graduate, Catherine Ross. Yeah. Catherine Ross opens a door and the giant bee is behind oh the door. My gosh. So that's weird because if it's a hallucination, right. why would it be like that? And the joke we made as we were watching it was Catherine Ross opens the door, there's this enormous bee. Hey, got any pollen? <laughs> Um, and then someone wrote in the comment section that none of that giant bee shit is in the theatrical Interesting. cut. Interesting. That, that was some of the nonsense they added. They made the, me take it out, but I'm putting it back in. Oh, you're getting giant bees. <laughs> and when I was watching the film, because I wasn't aware of the difference, I was like, well, this is their attempt to make the bees scary. Because unless you're allergic to bee stings it's a little hard to make those little yellow and black cuties scary. <laughs> Although I guess if they're swarming on your face and making a beard of bees,
0: that might be different. Not the bees, not the bees.
1: Uh, my next film, I also saw at Ebert fest. It's the film on my list that might not fit our criteria. Uh, tonight. Okay. But I saw it at Ebert fest and it, it blew me away and that I didn't know what to think of it. And Ebert was so effusive in his praise. And then luckily because it's Ebert fest, a couple weeks later I caught on cable and I was like, Oh, I get it now. Synecdoche, New York. Yes. Which Ebert announced Ebert Mm. presented as the greatest film of the first decade of the Mm. two thousands. That was his considered opinion. Do you have um,
0: one that you would call? The greatest I, of the 2000s?
1: I I would I, don't know, I would have to sit there and look at a list. Okay. Um, It's certainly an ambitious film with some amazing performances. And what added to it was uh, Charlie Kaufman was there for Eberfest. He was the guest that went along with the film. And he gave this riotous Q&A that was a parody of all Q&As because the audience was full of – well i don't have a right, question right. so much as a comment, and at one point someone was explaining one of the jokes in the film to Kaufman, the guy who but uh proving he was a real New Yorker the entire weekend, no matter where you went, you would see Kaufman walking somewhere. He just walked right. everywhere on the campus of U of i um, it's an amazing film for about five different reasons it's incredibly ambitious. Um, it's about an artist who decides to stage his life inside of an enormous warehouse and hire actors to play all the parts. And I don't think this is a spoiler. At one point we're in the warehouse, we're in the film within a film, so to speak. And the actor playing Philip Seymour Hoffman turns a corner and inside the warehouse, there's another warehouse where this right. Philip Seymour right. Hoffman mank is about to hire actors to play the act. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. in every sense of the word. Samantha yeah. Morton's in it, and she's so incredibly good. Everyone's, everyone's in it is good. I would say for the time period we're talking about, one of the ten best endings of, of any film, the very last moment, is pretty special. I don't want to spoil it, but you know what I'm talking about. I still have never seen it. Oh, when I... Well, no, I won't tell you because yeah, you haven't no. seen it. <laughs> um, it's incredible. It's what it's what movie should be. Okay. It's it's what it's. It makes every other movie we see. Oh, we settle for this, but sometimes it can be that.
0: Hmm. I need to see it. I you've championed it many times and I just for whatever reason still haven't seen it. I hear uh, Zodiac mentioned sometimes as the best movie of the 2000s. I wouldn't disagree and
1: remind me cuz my brain is becoming tapioca. It's about tabby, okay. the, uh, the killer. Oh, got it. Did it get any attention at the at the Oscars? No.
0: I, I don't think it made any money I,
1: what, what the fuck
0: Yeah. Well 2007 was like a crazy good year though Because you had Juno And No Country for Old Men And There Will Be Blood All three of those kind of sucking up all the oxygen um, And you can debate whether or not
1: No that was a great year yeah. But I still think there's room for I mean you watch it now and it's
0: like Oh my god yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I would maybe still make a case For Mulholland Drive as the best movie of the first decade of the two thousands. Okay. But a I have of seen A lot York. of people would disagree with you, but that's fine. They don't, they <laughs> clearly don't know what they're talking about. Um, I would try not to put horror movies on my list, but here's a horror movie uh, from a director who is <laughs> mostly hated in the horror community. And even among people that like him don't like this movie. And this is Rob Zombie's uh, the Lords of Salem from I think 2012 uh most horror fans have very little use for Rob Zombie and the one movie they will say that they like is The Devil's Rejects I think Lords of Salem is him trying to do something really different and yeah. I recognize that his reach is his grasp is further than his reach at times there's some bad stuff in there all the stuff with like the morning DJs or whatever yeah. it's like he's never heard a radio show um It makes me sad that the movie was chopped up a lot, um, didn't make hardly any money, barely got released, was not particularly well received because I think it made Rob Zombie sort of retreat back to rob zombie town with 31
1: and that's a shame because i love lords of salem i remember going to see it and wondering where everyone else was at the theater because this is the new rob zombie film you said it's him exploring new territory i always thought lords of salem was rob zombies david lynch film
0: there's fulci in it there's ken russell there's uh there's a lot of it you know it's a lot of directions oh yeah direction very ken russell yeah So anyway, I just think that's a really good movie. I recognize that it's not for everyone, but uh, here's a chance to talk it up, so I will. I really like Devil's Rejects, too, though. Me, too.
1: I think that's the closest with all due respect to Grindhouse. That's the closest I've ever seen to someone replicating the drive-in movies I used to go to when I was in high school. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, back in the early 20s. And finally, for me, this is the last uh, film on my list, what with all the superhero stuff going on lately with all these crazy superheroes. Enough of the costumed crime fighters. Um, Watchmen is so good. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And I I only have one quibble about Watchmen because I really, really like Watchmen. And in terms of, you're going to have to help me here because all these characters blend in, the the glowing blue guy.
0: Dr. Manhattan.
1: All of the Dr. Manhattan stuff is so full of the kind of imaginative stuff I remember from when I read comic books when I was 10 or 12. Yeah. Um. My only quibble about Watchmen, though, is the best sequence in the entire film is the opening sure. credits. Sure. And that is so audacious in what it's suggesting in the way it's filmed that where do you have to go from there? Yeah.
0: Um, but it's so great. I agree with you. Um, I think it's a great film, and I think it's a movie that doesn't please a lot of people because I think there are some people who say, well, it's too literal, and all it does is frame for frame adapt Alan Moore's book. And then there are other people who feel that it is not literal enough because they take (laughs) great liberties with the ending.
1: They they left stuff out, too.
0: Um, But I'm a huge fan of it, and when it was playing theatrically in 2009, it was, I think at the time, one of the few movies you could go see – in 2d imax um and i saw it a bunch of times that way because Because i knew visually it's a feast and i knew okay this is my only opportunity to see it like this the sound design um theatrically just even the way that dr manhattan's narration is recorded where it kind of takes out all the other sound i don't know i think it's a pretty amazing movie. manhattan's voice is billy crudup right yeah okay yeah um
1: The whole conceit of Rorschach, I just thought, was outstanding and very, very serious, considering how trivial most people think comic book movies are. Um, It makes me wish that there were more comic book movies like
0: Watchmen. Well at the time I remember thinking, okay, people are going to come around on this movie. Like this is not to say it's Blade Runner, but you know, nobody liked Blade Runner when it came out. And I'm not saying, you know, that's an unfair comparison because no, no no movie is Blade Runner. I
1: get the point of, but
0: like this movie is a little bit ahead of its time and people are going to come around on it. And now I don't think they are. It's about 10 years. I think Watchmen had its shot and I think people rejected it. I think, Zack Snyder's diminished reputation over the last decade has not helped that movie's legacy. I think like Mystery Men, another film that you and I are fans of, um, I think it came out too early. Yes. Iron Man was 2008.
1: And Snyder also directed, if I'm remembering correctly, another film that we really love. Oh, Sucker Punch. Yes. Yeah. Which we could have put on this list. Try getting people to like that. Oh. My God. I, when that came out, you did a podcast about it. Yeah.
0: With Eric, I think. Doug. With Doug, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, good Lord. Here's the thing, though, about Sucker Punch. The less you know about Sucker Punch, the better. Because I remember eagerly digging into the Blu-ray, because I would given the movie all kinds of credit for doing all these things. And then I started watching some of the special features, and I discovered, like, oh, yeah. no. Zack Snyder just meant me to take that literally. Oh. And like the Scott Glenn stuff, yeah. I was like, oh, it's trite on purpose. It's this commentary on, you know, sort of mansplaining or whatever. Oh, no. no. So Zack no. Snyder was not on, a- oh, shit. So, you know, death of the author. Let's just subscribe to that.
1: But you are the ideal audience for the film because what the film, in fact, does not contain, you will, you will
0: gleefully add. That shot. is right. Um Watchmen by the way just greenlit as a H- as an HBO series. Oh boy. So we'll see. There's a version on Amazon Prime that I encourage you to watch that adds in all kinds of stuff. There's in- like 30 minutes of and is part of it that thing the that- cartoon. Right. Tales of the Black Freighter, which right. is jarring every time it shows up and doesn't necessarily improve the movie the way that that stuff does in the comic. But I think a lot of the actual movie stuff that they cut out um is good including one of the best scenes in the movie that got cut out which is uh the original night owl patrick Wilson's and, that's on the, and that's on the blu-ray it's on a certain blu-ray but it's also on the um version that's on amazon okay. it's called the ultimate cut I wasn't going to name my last pick because it's a movie that I've talked about a lot on here and we actually did a podcast on it um, several years ago. But it, it's a movie that I know is beloved amongst people in our community, but I feel like outside our community maybe isn't loved as much. And that is Cloud Atlas, which for me is probably the most underrated movie, at least of the last 10 years. Um I I mean, well, you know, we have a whole podcast on it, uh, myself and your wife. I don't get
1: why it's so hard to convince some people to see some films. <laughs> and by that, I mean, why haven't I seen Cloud Atlas yet? I don't know. I own it. Yeah. Not that that means
0: anything. I, For a long time, I was resistant to even recommend it to you because I thought, oh, you're going to hate it and i don't i i won't be able to handle that um but i might be wrong sometimes you surprise me
1: that's really condescending oh how so <laughs> or that you just know my taste yeah Wh- no why, i think it's just about why don't you think i would like it
0: i think it's just about knowing your taste it's not about like oh you can't appreciate this movie at all i'm not condescending okay, thank you for in the, in the least i promise i think
1: might someone think it was pretentious?
0: Yes, I, and I think that's what it is. I get that it,
1: my pretentious meter is way
0: too – there's I, is there,
1: overcalibrated.
0: I think it requires a certain leap that sometimes I've seen you resist taking in other stuff. That's the only reason I thought that is that um, – Accepting a certain level of pretentiousness, not that you can't handle sincerity, because I know you can, and it is nakedly sincere. What's another film where I wouldn't take I'm the? I'm trying leap? to think of what it might be. Southland Tales? No, no. I get Southland Tales. What's another film where I'm, I'm trying won't take to? The I'm leap? trying to think. It's not the same as like your thing with fantasy but it's not totally removed either. This is,
1: this is uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's getting late. Um, one of my biggest uh, uh, drawbacks as someone who talks or writes about film, it's, it's something I'm not particularly proud of. The film that I feel, rightly or wrongly, probably wrongly, has hoodwinked people that it is intellectually and artistically dishonest. Okay. And those people who like it are wrong okay I know that's a big I don't want to say deficit but I know that's a, a blind spot for me that I'm constantly ferreting out the, the, uh, the filmmakers motives and if they're um, dishonest or um, sort of artistically bankrupt then I'll cry Emperor's new clothes
0: I don't think you'll think this is that. And again, I could be just completely... Because I like the filmmakers. Right. And and I could just be completely uh, misreading what I think your reaction might be. I just think there's a certain thing that the movie does that you may either buy into and be like, no, I I thought it was beautiful. Or like, that was kind of nonsense. <laughs> and so I don't know. My
1: wife's a big fan.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, I just think it's a masterpiece. I mean, it's it's... It takes bigger swings than any movie I can think of in the and last ten years. Talk about
1: a film that was ignored. Yeah. Just I mean not even not even hated. Just everyone's gonna turn their back right. and this is gonna go away
0: in a week. And I think eventually it kind of made its money back, but it was essentially a hundred million dollar independent film. I mean they financed this themselves. Um And it made its money back, I think, with overseas grosses. But just unbelievably ambitious and, I think, a movie that the world needs now. And I know there are some people who can't see past, like, the makeup. I'm surprised, given the cast, that it didn't do better. That you could sell it just on the basis of the cast. I mean, it is just not a commercial movie, like, in any way. Because even – we love Tom Hanks, but, like, this is not giving you – the Tom Hanks that you love, really. At any point, um, he's when he's not Despicable, he's cowardly. You know, um, because we get various iterations of Tom Hanks. And again, if you can't pick, can't get past the makeup, I get it. I would argue it's for a specific purpose. There were people who just didn't like the um, the use of casting the same actors across all the different stories, but that's the point of the movie. Help me out here. This is going to be the
1: big revelation at the end of the podcast. Oh, I'm excited. This is going to be the climax, if you will, <laughs> of the podcast. Do you mind if I jerk off? Um, <laughs> see, that's how I, I puncture my own. That was, pretension. Like, a, that was like a Seinfeld
0: episode. <laughs> is is
1: are there scenes? Is there a sequence in Cloud Atlas where people are being sort of held in slavery, or they're they're kept in tubes of some sort? yes okay i have seen it the whole movie yes the whole movie i have okay before you guys did your podcast yeah she watched it again and i watched it with her
0: okay and i remember almost nothing (laughs) it must have made a big impression (laughs) yeah the it's called neo soul it's like futuristic korea where they're cloning
1: and what they have to eat is waitresses yes it's soylent green yeah yeah okay and but then there are other sequences that take place in other places other and, timelines okay i don't remember okay. a lot of it <laughs> other than the the got it the artificial people in the right. soil and green right, right. aspect um but yeah i have seen it <laughs> wow. i i say to my shame i've seen it
0: it made a big impression
1: well it's an under the radar film <laughs> because i've seen it And it's under my radar. So in a weird way, like in Superman's Bizarro World, (laughs) I'm making your point for you.
0: Anyway, there's over 20 movies that you guys should all seek out if you haven't seen them. Um, I'm sure we didn't name some of your picks, and we're sorry about that.
1: We're sorry, (laughs) Chaby, But I really, really liked your album. I liked it a lot.
0: I'm excited to hear it. Um, please remember to tune in this Sunday, August 26th, starting at 10 a.m. Central for our live Toby Hooper tribute. JB will be there. It's going to be
1: something really special.
0: With uh, He's going to walk around my basement naked because we're talking about Life Force. Um, I didn't agree to that. <laughs> and talking about Life Force? The, the naked part. <laughs> Do you mind? Um. Give me a couple of days. No, I'm saying, them. do you mind? I'm about to jerk off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, check us out at dot Follow us on Twitter at fthismovie. Email us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail. dot com. Thank you, JB. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you Sunday.